Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Camilla Rodriguez. She's an assistant professor an extension specialist in horticulture, part of Auburn University. We're going to talk about uh, fruit and vegetable production and how to make them high quality. So, Camilla, thank you. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. And you? I'm good. Uh, Tell me a bit about uh, what you do. What is an extension specialist? So extension specialists, uh, we have the mission to address the needs of our stakeholders. So in my case, I have to address the needs of produce growers, and specifically in Alabama, regarding food safety issues. Oh, what, what kind of produce and what kind of issues? So all produce is susceptible to contamination, microbial contamination, but we have high-risk crops that what we like to call like lettuce. So we always see lettuce being involved. Foodborne outbreaks is so what we see a lot of in the news. We see tomatoes, but we there current some crops that has never been involved with foodborne outbreaks before. There are on the spot right now, like uh, onions. Nobody has ever seen onions outbreak before since until last year. So we had a huge onion outbreak. And then we had another one that was related to onion. So as I said, we have high risk crops, but all produce crops, especially because they're eating raw, are susceptible to microbial contamination. Well, what do you mean microbial contamination? The soil has you know, trillions of microbes. The, the plants themselves have their own microbiome. So, yeah, I mean, that's they're a gonna, good... you know. Yeah, that's a good question. So when we talk about microbes, you know, microbial contamination, we have to make the distinction between good and bad microbes, right? The we have both good good and bad microbes. Well, so the good good microorganisms, they are benefiting and help living organisms. Like we have the plant microbiota, we have soil microbiota, as well we have a human gut microbiota that help our, our intestine and our immune system. But we also have the bad microbes and what we commonly call them pathogens. that are microorganisms, either bacteria, viruses, parasites, or fungi that can make people or animals sick. So we have this both sides of the coin. So we have the bad ones and we have the good ones. So when we have the bad ones normally have mechanisms that can bypass the good microorganisms that can survive on harsh conditions and they can make cells or plants or animals and humans sick. When we are talking about human pathogens of concern, we talk about E. coli, we talk about salmonella, campylobacter, Clostridium botulin, and, and currently we are seeing a lot of the news about cyclosporokinesis, which is a parasite that is most frequently on a developing country, and now we are seeing more of this in the United States. 
So um, you talked about an outbreak with onions. How do you know it came from onions and what caused the problem? So the regulatory agencies, when when they identify that people are getting sick from a common microorganism, they initiate an investigation to trace back to each food could be causing the problem. So after a thorough investigation by these regulatory agencies, they found that the source of the contamination was onions. They were exported to from another country to U.S. So they they really found the root cause of the problem, and they also then they were able to sample salmonella was the issue what was contaminating onions. So they were able to sample produce and and to found the root cause of the problem. Then, oh, so the onions had salmonella on them, and where yes. where would that have come from, and why? Yes, so. Regulatory agents, they did thorough investigation. They were not able to clearly find this 100% root cause of the problem, but they concluded that the main cause was contaminated water that was used on the farm. So contaminated water that can be used on irrigation, this is the most implicated problem in the farm. Water can spread everywhere. So if it's contaminated with pathogens, and when applied to the crops or used on harvesting and post-harvest processes can be a big issue because it can spread microorganisms to everything. Interesting. So would this be water that was applied multiple times? You know, let's say I sprayed my crops with contaminated water and like three weeks later I harvested. Do you think that salmonella could survive that long, even uh, if it was taken weeks ago? It could, but also we have to consider environmental factors that could contribute to the die-off of these microorganisms. So the rule of thumb says that the closer the water contaminated is applied to harvest, the higher the risk. You know, over time, microorganisms tend to die over desiccation, microbial contamination, UV radiation, and, and, and moisture, and any other environmental factor that can contribute to, you know, killing microorganisms that are outside. But sometimes, depending how much contamination happened, if there was too much bacteria on it, some might resist harsh conditions, then those minimum numbers of bacteria can still be harmful, can still cause illnesses. So is there yeah. uh, is there any produce that always is cooked? Or are, is all produce eaten raw sometimes? So the FDA has a list of produ- products that are uh, rarely consumed raw. So one example is uh, zucchini, squash, and they're normally eating raw potatoes, sweet potatoes. So we have, there is a thorough list that the FDA is considered rarely raw commodities. So those are less risk because they're rarely consumed raw. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, 
the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Um, for people that are consuming certain produce raw, I mean, if they wash it, they use like a vinegar wash or fruit and vegetable wash, will that help or they still could have a problem with things like salmonella? So the, that is a, that is an interesting question. And I tell you a lot of things, two things in here on your question. First, a lot of, uh, of the misconception that people think is that if it contaminates, it's okay because we wash it later. And that is a misconception. So when we have a food contaminated with microorganisms, even though we wash them with sanitizer or running water or anything, there is no effective, 100% effective washing or removal. So, and then this one or 0.1% that is remaining of bacteria or microorganisms on, on the food surface or enterolized can cause illnesses to humans. As I said, some microorganisms are very harsh and they're, and then they require a minimum, like a small number of them to cause illnesses. So this is the first misconception to think that once if it's contaminated, we can wash it later and we can, you know, decontaminate. That is the key concept. We think we have to think about prevention rather than cleaning up later. But also when you mention about vinegar, and, and that is another thing we I I get questions a lot about, you know, can I use vinegar to like decontaminate or wash my produce to remove my bacteria? And the answer is no. Vinegar is has no scientific proof that can kill pathogens. So uh, sanitizers that are EPA approved for washing produce or food contact surface can be used they're proven to kill 99 or 9.9% of microorganisms. And we don't recommend doing this at home. So these are post-harvest processes that they use sanitizer, approved sanitizers to wash produce on packing houses and facilities, ship, and then for consumers' purchase. So we don't recommend consumers to washing produce at home with any chemical or any or even vinegar. Running water, tap running water, clean water is the best way to wash produce at home. Why? What's wrong with vinegar or natural ways to do it? Well, vinegar, well, scientifically, no one has proven that vinegar has a uh, antimicrobial activity against pathogens. You know, I would tell you an example, salmonella, for example, can survive and be adapted to very harsh conditions. So we think about vinegar that has a pH of around two or so, Salmonella can survive to harsh conditions, like very low pH. That is an example. So it's better to have them sprayed with chemicals than then sent to you than for you to clean them yourself. Is that is that what you're saying? Not exactly. I mean, spraying with chemicals it's another thing. You know, you're spraying chemicals with for uh, plant disease or for other stuffs. Uh, we don't spray sanitizers on fruits and vegetables to prevent or for washing uh, then we dump when when produce is harvested some produce are washed mostly for uh, quality purpose to remove soils or any debris so when producers are washing their produce it is recommended to add 
sanitizer, EPA approved sanitizer, like a chlorine-based sanitizer, peroxacetic acid sanitizers to prevent cross-contamination, not to decontaminate produce. So this is very important keyword. So sanitizers are adding the, the water and the packing house to wash produce to prevent cross-contamination. So if I dump produce that is likely contaminated with something, so when it falls in the water, it prevents from the falling off microorganisms attaching to other produce. So this is what we call preventing cross-contamination. It reduces the risks of all the batch getting contaminated if I have something contaminated there. Okay. So what what are some of the the questions or research topics or efforts that you're making right now to improve the health of uh, produce? So I have uh, research and extension appointments. So most of my research projects are driven to have any short or long-term outcome that can be applied to growers and can be beneficial to them. So my research projects, I have research projects that are dedicated to pre-harvest and post-harvest activities. I work with conventional and organic produce. So one of my big projects that I work with is assessing the prevalence of foodborne pathogens in irrigation water sources. So we sample pond water and we look for pathogens and the prevalence and factors that could be associated with the high and low prevalence, like uh, rainfall or um, uh, water temperature or nutrients in the water, what, what could, you know, be related or affecting the the growth of bacteria in the water. I also work with post-harvest activities. So another project that I have is assessing potential sanitizers, like uh, more sustainable sanitizers that could be replacing chlorine or peroxacetic acid. I have uh, research involved with aquaponic and hydroponic. So Control Environment Ag is it's on the rise right now. So we see that they're even though they are claimed to be as, like safer than conventional growing, there we've seen some issues related to safety. One outbreak related to indoor growing lettuce last year. So my point is, I do I, I'm working on research to develop some some sort of sustainable practices or sustainable methods that we can prevent contamination in indoor systems. So something that can be added in the water that could be beneficial to the environmental microflora, like in the case of the aquaponics, but it still control foodborne pathogens. I also have projects that currently I got a funded project that to do to develop a food safety curriculum for aquaponic and hydroponic. So it's something that is needed uh, right now. So we have the produce safety rule that is dedicated to fresh produce growers. And there we have a curricula for there to train growers and specifically, but most of this are dedicated to conventional outdoor growers. So we want to de- we want to build or develop educational materials for this specific target. And so this is part of something I've been doing here right now, but I have a lot going on and then some other projects that are, are very exciting as well in, 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 in all kind of okay. different ways. Okay. So what uh, for hydroponics or controlled agriculture, as you said, aquaponics, et cetera, what are some of the uh, potential pathogenic issues that you're talking about or food safety issues? So food safety issues for these, these specific the farming methods is that a lot of 
people think it's because it's, it's grown produce under a controlled environment. We don't have impacts of outdoor animals or soil that could be implicated on, on increasing risks of contamination. We have to think about it at workers' hands. You know, we have a more, let's say, sterile environment or that could lead to growth of microorganisms faster than than outdoor. So outdoor, we think about environmental factors that could contribute to die off of microorganisms, solar radiation, moisture, temperature, or um, so that indoor, we don't have that. Also, cross-contamination with hands, we have water that is used to grow produce. So people that touch water, you know, workers work touching water constantly all the time, and then later touching leaves or the edible portion of the crop can also be a big contributor to to cross-contamination. But if you think about fish being grown with uh, produce on the aquaponic system, adult fish are um, cold-blooded animals. They are not, they don't have issues with salmonella or E. coli or so, but Previous studies have shown that E. coli can populate intestine of fish and can be excreted in the water. And key, you know, with E. coli can be persistent in the water system and then flow through the water and uh, the, the plant side and be uh, an issue. Yeah, but how often are there problems? You know, what's the incidence of, uh, of the times where people get sick? So far, we had documented one outbreak and one recall this year. If you think about it, it's a, it's a small number. But if you compare to the number of produce that is grown under conventional farming and the number of produce that is grown under control environment, I think this number match pretty well, you know, what the incidence from conventional to indoor growing. But what, what does that mean? Is it like a tenth of a percent of all grow, all food grown or hundredth of a percent or five I mean, percent? I mean, if you count up the, the industry for indoor growing, we have a very, very tiny percentage nowadays compared to conventional growing agriculture. So if you think about that, we already have two potential, one outbreak and one recall that have been documented in the last two years. I would say that is a is considerable for for you know thinking twice and then we need to think about the safety issues and so on. Uh, when there's been outbreaks, what have uh, what have been the causes? You know, get investigations to determine so what's going on. And again, what are some of the most common causes? So an outbreak is an is an it's defined as two people getting sick from the same microorganisms that are not in the same household. So let's say me and my neighbor, we get sick from the same organism that, you know, they have been screened. They probably, we both went to the hospital and they screened and they found that the same microorganism. So this is already called an outbreak. So this is when public health departments, they, they notify the regulatory agencies and they start an investigation. Gotcha. So Again, what are some of the, uh, the t- what's some of the testing going on or what are some of the suggested ways to, uh, to make sure that, you know, produce is safe if it's grown indoors? What kind of, uh, you know, chemicals are they using or procedures or protocols? So you can never sample enough produce to, you know, to tell if it's contaminated or not. 
otherwise don't have produce to sell. But preventive practice, you know, it's the key. We have, since produce is grown and indoor, mostly on water, testing water for microbial quality is the first step or using any sort of water treatment. For example, hydroponics, they can use uh, chemicals if they prefer to treat the water or can use a non-chemical treatments like UV light or filter membranes that can to treat the water. But aquaponics, you cannot sterilize or treat the water because of the fish. You compromise fish health and also compromise beneficial bacteria that has, there is in the system. So it's a little bit more complicated, but you know, that can be water testing for generic E. coli is the is the first step. The water, testing the water and ensuring that the water is good quality, and training workers that they understand that of the risks and good practices that they need to have is another thing. I think it's it's very important that workers know what causes problems and how to minimize those problems and how to safely handle produce through, throughout the whole process. Right. Has anyone developed a um, an on-site testing kit, you know, where you could, uh, you know, scratch a piece of produce or, you know, wipe it or, you know, test it for uh, maybe the top two or three or four kinds of bacteria? Is what that a possibility? Normally, well, normally, what normally is done, like, especially for enclosed environments, growers can in- implement environmental monitoring programs where they hire a 30-party company that they come and do swabbing on food contact surfaces, on non-food contact surfaces, and then test for specific pathogens or listeria species or salmonella. And, and these are indicative of if there is a risk or not. So testing produce is, it, it can be an option, but it doesn't tell you much. You know, I like... Uh, Testing for microbial contamination on water and food contact surfaces is, you know, is the best indicator to tell you if you're processing or growing produce, you know, on a safe environment. If, um, I know, I guess a different way of thinking, but if, uh, you know, a piece of fruit or some kind of produce is contaminated with, you know, E. coli or salmonella, is there anything else that could be consumed alongside of it that would prevent the person from being sick? Has anyone thought of uh, anything like that? Any candidates that would that would help in that way? I think healthy individuals are less susceptible to getting sick from foodborne pathogens. You know, in my understanding, I think that is the best way preventing. As far as I know, there is no like a miracle remedy or something that we can, you know, get along with this and then you know kill those pathogens or so when we consume them. So. Normally, immunocompromised individuals, they suffer more from foodborne illnesses. You know, young kids or elderly or um, people with, you know, chronic disease or people with immunocompromised systems, they are more susceptible to getting more, like, more sick. Or pregnant women as well. So listeria monocytogen is a big problem for pregnant women because it it can cause miscarriage. So, you know, this group of individuals are more susceptible to illnesses. Right. Going forward, what do you see will happen maybe over the next few years with food safety? Do you think it's going to change dramatically or it's going to be a very slow process? It is already changing, you know. I think it is a slow process because it's a very 
complex system, you know, is a complex matrix. Produce, producing food is complex. And especially for fresh produce industry, you know, years, years ago, they found, they figured out the problem with raw milk. So pasteurization was this basically the solution of it. Can it food? So processing was a big solution and so on. With fresh produce, most of it is consumed raw. You know, you know, you don't cook lettuce or, you know, most of it, we, we eat it raw. So the issue will be there. We will continue having probably food safety issues, foodborne outbreaks and regulatory agencies and research. They're aligning with research and then, uh, scientific findings to implement preventive measures that can be minimizing food safety risks. You know, like, as I said, preventive measures is the, is the key word for, for reducing foodborne illnesses rather than treating. That's why the FDA changed it. They implemented the Food Safety Modernization Act in 2011 for, to shift from, from a reaction to a prevention approach. But yeah, I think we, with advancing in technology and screening methods, maybe we'll be able to tra trace it faster, foodborne illnesses, or and then uh, find out the problem before causing more illnesses, for example, or um, even implement methods that can help minimize risks. But, you know, we have microorganisms that are being they're getting mutated we have increasing food production we have intensive agriculture that all can contribute to you know rise on food safety issues very good all right camilla um where can people find out more about your work uh i do have a a website so you can find it at uh, college of agriculture at auburn university the directory page of the horticulture department and uh, the bottom of my name there is a food safety lab page so we are constantly updating that page and i have current projects that i'm working with and extension programs and contacts to find me so i'm currently recruiting students to work with me and i have a pretty good consistent lab that we are doing some research and extension so for anyone interested in contact me or reaching out or getting to know more about my program just shoot me an email or call me i'm, I'm happy to to talk more well very camilla thank you so much for coming on the podcast i appreciate it thank you so much for having me have a wonderful day if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.